The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. Father God, we are so thankful for that truth. We are so thankful that we have a mighty fortress that we can turn to in the time of need. God, I pray that we would find security there, that we would find peace there. And God, I pray for the service today uh, as we go into your word, that you would open hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that a passion would be rekindled, that a, a fire would be set in our hearts that could not be quenched. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, welcome. Thanks for coming out. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't know this already, if you're a visitor with us, uh, this is not my full-time job. If you haven't figured out, you probably will by the end. But uh, the guy we actually pay to do this is on sabbatical, Pastor Dan. He is out until beginning of August, so he has two more weeks to enjoy life without me bugging him about different things. So, uh, but I'm so thankful. I know Dennis, uh, one of our elders, two weeks ago preached, and just really thankful for for that sermon, Dennis. Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember your main points now. Long-term memory is not as good as it used to be. Be watching, right? This is about the second coming, and will the Son of Man find faith on earth when he comes back? Be watching, be working, and stay in the Word. We should have went with the alliteration, be in the Word. That's my fault. I should have remembered that one. Uh, but be in the Word. And then last week we had Pastor Tyler from Gospel City came out, and he very much talked on being together and the importance of doing life together, being in church together. And it was kind of interesting for me as I sat back and I listened. I've been preparing this sermon for probably about four months, something like that. So they kind of stole a few of my main points. It's fine. It's fine. But I, I think um, as I sat back and I listened to kind of how all three of our sermons will be a little bit interwoven, I'll have some of the main points they did. But looking at it from different texts, um, you know, I figure if, if God wants us to repeat a few things, then it must be that he wants us to hear it a few times. So we're going to trust in that. But today we're going to look at a couple parallel passages. We're going to be in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And we're going to talk about influence and we're going to talk about perseverance. And they're not mutually exclusive. If you want to make it to the end, it helps if you have good people around you to kind of help you get to the end of your race. And so we're going to look at that through the lens of King Joash and Athaliah. Uh, if you recall, uh, about two months ago, almost to the day, I was up here... Uh, really excited to be here. And we got to talk about King Jehoshaphat and the importance that his life played um, in Judah. So King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he made some decisions along the way that were compromises. He unequally yoked his country with that of Israel, which on the surface level, you look at it, why did he do that? He did it for peace. Now, peace is a good thing to go for, but not when you're sacrificing what you believe in, not when you're sacrificing the truth of the word and uh, your belief in Christ and, and your belief in God at that time. And so, you know, we, we see that compromise he made, and it's, it's felt for generations to come. He agreed to go to war with King Ahab, and you might know Ahab married Jezebel, two of the most wicked people you'll find in Scripture. And they had a daughter. And the daughter's name was Athaliah. And this is one of the compromises we see that he made. Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. He made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel gave their daughter, who was very much indoctrinated by her mother and father in Baal worship, to Jehoshaphat's son, King Joram, to a nation that proclaimed they follow God. 
it didn't have good effects. It was a bad decision. And he, being Joram, walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he puts the way the teaching of his dad, and he brings on the teachings of his spouse and her family. And now you have Judah following in the way of Israel. Well, Ahab, or excuse me, Joram and Athaliah, they have a son named Ahaziah. I had to work on my pronunciations this week. Trust me, it was, it was a thrill. Uh, but they have a son named Ahaziah. And eventually King Joram gets sick and he dies from a disease of the bowels. And after he passes away, Ahaziah is now going to be king over Judah. Well, who do you think is going to help influence him? His mom. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. I hope that is never said about any of us, that we are someone's counselor in doing wickedly. What a terrible thing to have said about you. But she knows nothing else. That is her life. That is who she is. And that is the influence that she makes in the land of Judah. Well, going on in Israel at this time, they have some more issues. Uh, they have the same kind of Baal idolatry worship going on. And so Jehu, who is a man down in Israel, is anointed to go and kill the king of Israel. So he rises, he goes, and he kills the king of Israel, while Ahaziah now the king in Judah, goes to visit. Well, Jehu intercepts Ahaziah and kills him too. And now you have the nation of Judah without a king. And you have a very wicked grandmother who's now going to put herself in charge. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. No one was left who had a right to the throne aside from her. This is a problem. This is a big problem because we're talking about the Davidic covenant here. Uh, there's a passage, Genesis 3.15, that is said to be kind of the thesis statement of Scripture. So if you ever get to a part of the Bible and you're wondering, why is the story here? Well, that verse is the one that says, uh, Satan will bruise your heel, but he, being Christ, will bruise your head. So if that's really the thesis statement of Scripture, how does, how does this all kind of tie in? And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but what we're looking at now is you have the Davidic covenant, a covenant made between God and David, saying that a rightful heir to the throne will only be through the line of David. She's not a rightful heir, and she's killed everyone that is. That's a problem, because guess what? Christ comes from that line. He comes from that line. But wait. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Joram, and the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she'd not put him to death. And he remained with them six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. What we read is that the line of Christ is down to one. And it was a one-year-old boy that this lady, who you'll never hear about in Scripture again, took the time, did the right thing, saved his life, put him aside. She and her husband, who's the high priest, Jehoiada, keep him hidden for six years. Where do they hide him? They hide him in the house of the Lord. You know why? Because a wicked queen isn't going to look there. She'll be in the house of Baal. She's not going to be in the house of the Lord. So he was safe being there. We read on, but in the seventh year, Jehoiada took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds. This is kind of exciting for my military friends out here. We got a coup. 
This is what's going to happen. We're going to have an overthrow. And what's going to happen is Jehoiada goes and he speaks to these commanders and says, look, I got a guy. I have a rightful heir to the throne. Will you stand with us? Will you protect him when it's time to anoint him? And they do. What they do is they decide to do it at the changing of the guards, because guess what? When you change the guards over, that's when you're going to have the most staff on hand. If you have a company that has multiple shifts, when are you going to have the most people there? Well, when the first shift's leaving, the second team's arriving, you're going to have the most amount of people there, and that's the same plan that they put in place here. You have all these guards that show up, they arm them, and they tell them, if anybody enters the house of the Lord, kill them. Kill them. So they go through and they anoint Joash, as the next king. Well, when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and the singers with their musical instruments leading in the celebration. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! Really, if anybody's going to cry treason, it's her. After what she did... Well, then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains who were set over the army, saying to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with a sword. For the priest said, Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went into the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house, and they put her to death there. I have to think to myself, times must have been really, really tough in the land of Judah during that six-year reign of, of Athaliah. I mean, why else would you take a seven-year-old and say, Okay, he's king. We've got to make him king. We've got to make him king now. My thought is you probably couldn't wait any longer. Things had to be pretty bad to get to that point. So she obviously wasn't a great queen anyway, given her already semi-psychotic approach to this, if not um, Satan-influenced. I think that's one thing. I think, you know, another thing I wonder, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, but why is this story here? Through that lens of Genesis 3.15, why is this here? And I think part of the answer lies in Matthew 1.8. This is the genealogy of Christ. And it says, And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. Well, let's, let's expand that a little bit. Matthew ends up actually skipping four generations. And that's how it fits in here. Asaph's the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Ahaziah, who's the father of Joash, and Joash is the father of Amaziah, Amaziah, Amaziah the father of Uzziah. That's kind of why it's here. It's a big deal. He's in that line to Christ. Matthew doesn't mention him specifically. There are a couple of different ideas as to why that might be. Some think it's because Matthew wants to keep, uh, if you remember, he says there's 14 generations from this event to this event, 14 generations from here, 14 generations. So to kind of keep that uh, going, it might be one of the reasons. But really, they think it's because of the lineage that they have and the correlation they have with the line of Ahab. They want to leave him out. There was some, some good things that happened when Jehoiada and Joash uh, got together after Joash was made king. Jehoiada made a covenant. This is an immediate impact, immediate impact. Uh, as soon as Athaliah was put to death, Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. He's riding the ship. He's getting it back in line to where it should be. Then all the people went to the house of Baal and they tore it down. His altars, his images, they broke it in pieces and they killed Matan, the priest before, uh, of Baal, before the altars. And then all the people of Israel rejoiced. And the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with a sword. 
To me, saying that the city was quiet means it probably wasn't very quiet when she was alive. Probably wasn't very peaceful during that time. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. That's pretty cool. That tells me it's pretty good influence that Jehoiada had on the life of Joash. But I wish this verse was worded a little bit differently. I wish it was worded, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days, all of his days. Not because of this man, but he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all of his days. But it doesn't say that. Well, in Second Chronicles 24, 15 to 16, it says, But Jehoiada grew old and full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old at his death, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he has done good in Israel and toward God and his house. He got an honorable burial. To be buried with the kings, you're not a king. To be buried with the kings, that says something. He righted the ship. He did what was right, and he did what was honorable, and he was made, uh, given that honor, honorary burial at that time. Not even Joash and many other kings got that. King or not, they didn't get it. But after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and the king listened to them. The princes of Judah are other leaders in the land of Judah at this time. And when it says he listened to them, that really means he gave consent to them. What did he give consent to them to do? Baal worship. They started worshiping idols. At one point in time, they had some good plans laid out, Jehoiada and Joash. They had plans to repair and rebuild the temple. They put out money boxes to collect money so they could pay contractors to come and do the work, rebuild the temple. Great thing. Great thing. That's no longer happening. That is now stopped because he's listened and he's being influenced by these princes of Judah. He starts serving the ashram and the idols. Wrath comes upon Judah because of his decisions. Wrath comes upon them. Prophets rose up to speak out against Joash and these other princes. He wouldn't listen to them. Finally, a man steps forward. His name is Zechariah, and he's just no ordinary prophet. He and Joash actually have they got a bit of history. Because you see, Zechariah is the son of Jehoiada, the priest who is such a positive influence on the life of Joash. So you'd wonder if they, they probably knew each other. I think that's a fair assumption to make. They probably knew each other. They may have had a meal together at some point in time, but they had a connection, and it was Jehoiada. And Zechariah steps out and speaks out against what Joash and these princes of Judah are doing. Joash didn't flinch. He had him stoned to death. Had him stoned to death. While he was dying, Zechariah says, may the Lord see and may the Lord avenge. And then he died. Influence. We have influential things around us all the time. And I might say encouragement, I might say persuasion a little bit, so I appreciate your grace in this. But we see a lot of different influencing factors in our story today. We see the influence that Athaliah had on Joram and Ahaziah. We see the influence that Jehoiada had on Joash, very positive. And then we see Joash and these princes of Judah. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, maybe your parents were like mine, but mine always had a few sayings similar to this, but they would say, I, If I know who your friends are, I'll know who you are. They, your folks ever say something like that to you? 
You ever say something like that to your kids? <laughs> a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that. Whether you want to hear it or not, there's a lot of truth in it. Negative influences are all around us in this world. All around us. It is just suffocating. So, how can we resist those things? How can we not compromise? How can we be a little bit more careful with that? Let's look about what can influence us. Other people can influence us. We talked a little bit about that. What we watch. Do you compromise what you watch? Do you watch things that might get stuck in your head that shouldn't be stuck in your head? What we listen to. That was a big thing for my folks back in the day when it came to like certain music. You couldn't listen to certain stations and things like that. I'm like, come on, it's not that big of a deal. They're right. I find this out later. They're definitely right. What you listen to can impact you. What we read. There's a lot of just smutty books out there that people just really enjoy reading that can influence us and take us away from our walk. So how do we guard against those things? You've got to surround yourselves with like-minded individuals. That's why being here, doing life with your church family and friends, it's an important thing. Surround yourself with like-minded individuals. People who can help point out negative and sinful, sinful influences in your life, support you as we need to write the course sometimes. We need to set boundaries and we need to stick to them. And that takes discipline. And when people hear that word discipline, they think, oh, it's going to be hard. Not interested. But it's going to take discipline. It's going to take work and effort. We need to practice discernment. Uh, sometimes I'll tell folks that I talk to, and I have to do this in my own life as well, I need to reflect on my life a little bit. When I go through situations or challenging times or some of these highs and lows that we face, who helped me get through, who helped build me up and encourage me along the way versus who distracted me, who tried to tear me down, who tried to take me away from my walk. Practice discernment. W. Clement Stone was a businessman from the early 1900s. He says, you're a product of your environment. So choose the environment that will best develop you toward your objective. Analyze your life in terms of its environment. Are the things around you helping you toward success or are they holding you back? I took a little creative liberty with this one. You're a product of your environment, so choose the environment that will best develop you in your spiritual walk. Analyze your life in terms of its environment. Are the things around you helping you toward Christ or are they holding you back? If you see that cited somewhere else, you let me know. We got copyright on this. So how else do we guard against negative influences? So you got to stay rooted in prayer and scripture. You have to stay there. You have to stay there. It is amazing, I think, if, if you ever wonder uh, if you're easily influenced or loved ones. I mean, I know we talk a lot about peer pressure to teens there's a lot of peer pressure to do things you shouldn't do. Guess what? There's a lot of peer pressure as an adult. There's a lot of peer pressure as an adult from your coworkers to other family who don't walk the same walk, who don't talk the same talk. Media all around you. You talk about the negative influences of social media. I think I saw a statistic somewhere, and don't, don't quote me on this, but I thought it said that uh, the rise in the use of social media also correlates with the rise in suicide attempts by teenagers, specifically young girls. It's all around us. If you don't believe me, you can take one of my children and go to the grocery store and walk down the cereal aisle and hear how easily influenced they have been by all the wonderful commercials that tell them which kind of cereal they should buy. Now, in all fairness, this was me last week with Stephanie, but uh, she wouldn't let me have Frosted Flakes, and that's fine. I'm not bitter. We're going to stop on the way home today. Um, but it's true. 
when Silas was six, okay, he's 12 now, so six years ago, Stephanie and he were talking about, there's a verse in the Bible that has the word liberty in it, and she says, Silas, do you know what liberty means? And Silas is a smart kid, if you get a chance to talk to him, he's a pretty bright kid, I don't know where he gets it from, but he's pretty sharp, and he says, yeah, mom, I know what liberty means. Liberty Mutual customizes your home and auto insurance only, you pay for what you need. And then he did the jingle at the end, I'm not going to do that for you, but he did the jingle at the end. I think one other question we need to ask ourselves is, who are you influencing? Knowingly or not, who, who are you influencing? Are you a Jehoiada in their life? Are you encouraging them, building them up? Are you an Athali? Are you teaching them how to do wickedness and maybe usurp authority and not be very helpful? Stephanie sent me a text earlier this week. Uh, my wife is, is really into writing, uh, so we don't really talk too much. She sends me long letters. Um, but she sent me a text this week. She found a poem that says, You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. People read what you write, distorted or true. What is the gospel according to you? Continuing on with our story, we pick it up in 2 Kings 12. Things continue to get worse, and now Judah is under attack. At that time, Haziel, the king of Syria, went up against and fought against Gath and took it. Gath's a city in the Philistines. But when Haziel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, Joash, the king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Joram and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated in his own sacred gifts and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent these to Haziel, king of Syria. Then Haziel went away from Jerusalem. He paid them off. Look, let me just give you everything we got. Just leave us alone. Leave us alone. Now, at face value, you would think, yeah, it's not a bad decision. The Syrians were pretty bad dudes. They were not to be messed with, not to be messed with. But looking at some of Joash's family line, I mean, what did Jehoshaphat do? He turned to the Lord and let the Lord handle it. Well, that's not his response. His response, let me just pay him off. Just stay away. This isn't the first time we hear about Haziel, the king of Syria, though, in Scripture. In 2 Kings 8, Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria at that time, and he is very sick. And he sends Haziel to go see Elisha, and he tells him, ask him if I will live. So Haziel goes, and he asks Elisha, hey, my king wants to know, will he live? And he says, tell him, yes, he will live, but I tell you, he will surely die. And then things got a little uncomfortable for Haziel. And he, Elisha, fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Haziel said, why does my Lord weep? He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with a sword. And you will dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. They are ruthless. Ruthless. Haziel goes back to Ben-Hadad. He kills him, takes over the throne. And that's where we see him here, in that Second Kings chapter 12. But the payoff, the bribe, it, it doesn't work. Second Chronicles 24 tells us that the Armenians come back. Well, that's a group of the Syrians. And it's only a few of them. It only took a few of them for, for them to defeat Judah. And in the process of defeating Judah, Joash is injured. And while he's healing on his bed, his servants come and they kill him. And they... If you read it in the scripture, it'll talk about how um, they did it to honor Zechariah. The Lord saw and the Lord avenged his death. Perseverance, boy, that's, that's a nice word. 
It sounds like a lot of work, and I think it is. Um, it is. It is hard to persevere to the end of your spiritual walk. We see it in this passage. Joash started really well, falls away. The next two guys after him start really well, fall away. Time and again throughout Scripture we see that, but I think to myself as I look around the world around us, uh, I see it daily. You turn on the news and you see pastors of these huge churches that are now no longer accepting Christ as their Savior. They're, they're, they're denouncing their faith. They're walking away from it. Worship leaders all around, they don't persevere. They hit hard times. They fade out. My prayer for us is what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Wouldn't that be nice to get the end of our race and be able to say, hey, throughout the whole thing, I kept my faith. That doesn't mean there weren't highs and lows, there weren't mountains to climb, and there weren't valleys to go through, but I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Hebrews chapter 12, this is in my devotions earlier this week, and it was too late to change my PowerPoint, and Lord knows I'm not going to do that well, so we just avoided that. But Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let us run with endurance. That means a severe determination, a strong determination. Not let us run and fade out. A steady determination to keep going regardless of the temptation, regardless of the influences that are coming in and attacking us on a daily basis. That steady determination. Race is used as an athletic metaphor, and uh, I never usually look at that word fondly because <laughs> racing, whatever. Um, and running's not my scene, if you couldn't tell. I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm sure you're all thinking I'm just some great athlete, but nope. Uh, race, actually, if you read the Greek in this and interpret it literally, the Greek word is agony. I'm like, boy, that fits a lot better. I don't know if I've ever seen a runner think, oh, they look like they're having the time of their life. They look so full of joy. Most of them look like they're not going to make it. They're exhausted. They're miserable. Don't talk to them. It's brutal. Like, man, I don't know why, we, why we kept it as race. We should have made it agony. You know, Paul says, I have finished the agony. Boy, sometimes life can be pretty agonizing. It can be pretty tough. You know, David alluded to it when he was talking. It, it can be pretty agonizing. It can be really hard. Let us run with endurance the agony that is set before us. Yeah. Yeah. The pressures that we face, the exhaustion that can be there, the persecutions are nothing, as Hebrews tells us, are nothing compared to what Christ went through. Nothing. How can we as believers, how can we guard against complacency? How can we ensure that our devotion to God and our spiritual walk remains strong throughout our lives? How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? What does it mean to consider him? So, we have a few ideas here. Regularly examine your hearts. Ask God to show you. Ask the Holy Spirit to expose in you those areas of complacency, those areas that you have compromised, knowingly or not. Ask him to show you where those are at. Embrace the spiritual disciplines. Similar to what we talked about with influence. Stay in the word. Read. Pray. Fellowship. Worship with others. 
Guard against distractions and idols. Uh, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but the world's full of them. The world's full of them. How do we deal with it? Are we in the world but not of the world? Or are we of the world? That idea of being of the world means are we loving the things of this world? Are we engaging with it? Are we taking those thing on, things on as our own? Are we believing in those systems and processes that lead us to sin and away from Christ? What are those things? What are you holding on to that you shouldn't be holding on to? Stay connected to the body of Christ. Again, this goes back to what Tyler was talking about last week. Together we draw near to God. Together we hold fast to hope. Together we stir up one another. Don't just attend this place, belong to these people. Are you staying connected to the body of Christ? I think there are many who are in the church but not of the church. We've gotten it flipped with the world. We've gotten it flipped. I'm here, but I'm not loving it. I'm not engaged with it. I'm not really buying into it. I'm just kind of checking the box. Be in the church, but be of the church. Be here with us. Maintain an attitude of gratitude. It is real easy to get down and see all the agony of the race around us. But if we can actually take time to reflect on God's many blessings, on how he loves us, how he provides for us, that builds up an endearment to him. That builds up and strengthens that love we have for him. You know, I don't think uh, influence and perseverance are mutually exclusive. I think if we have a good support group, we have a much better chance of making it to the end saying we stood firm in the faith. But I think there are distractions that Satan uses around us all the time. You know, I think of the agonies that some of you are going through right now, directly or indirectly. And I think one of the biggest lies Satan tells us is, you're the only one. You're the only one. You're the only one going through this. No one else has ever gone through this before. You're doing this on your own. No one's there to support you. No one can help you. But friends, that's where we as the body of Christ need to expose that. So I'm going to ask uh, for a moment of bravery. This is our bravery test. This is our vulnerability test today, okay? I'm going to read through a couple of things here. And if any of these things describe you, I'm going to ask you in your moment of, of bravery here, I want you to raise your hand, okay? You can wait till I get done. If you're currently struggling physically, you have major medical issues going on, either you or maybe a very close relative, if you have anything going on physically, life-altering health problems, if you're struggling with relationships, and maybe in your marriage, it could be through the process of divorce, maybe with your children, could be parents or friendships, if you're struggling with any of those things. How about struggling financially? If you're in Elkhart County, like I am, you hear a lot about layoffs. A lot of people don't know where the next paycheck's coming from. If you're struggling financially, how about struggling emotionally? Going through mourning, maybe depression, struggling with some anxiety. Maybe you're struggling spiritually. Not really sure how God is working or moving or if he's there. If any of those things, you would say, yeah, that's me, that's me right now. Do me a favor, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Look around. Keep those hands up. Look around. Expose the lie. You're not alone. You're not alone. How about for those of you who didn't raise your hand, you would say, I'm not there right now, Chris, but I've been there. Who's been there? Hey, I got a job for us. We're the Jehoshabeths in this church. 
We may not have a special gift. We may not have a special calling that you know of. We know that the Holy Spirit all gives us one. But I'd say this week our gift is to call those who had their hands up first. It doesn't take a special talent to dial a phone number. Hey, how are you? I just want to check in. I know life's tough. What can I do for you? What are you going through? It's our opportunity as the church to be the church, to rise up, to help strengthen and encourage one another, to be a positive influence and help our fellow saints persevere in their walk to whenever it may end, now or in the future. Now or in the future. Thank you for that, by the way. Thank you. Uh, Again, I'm going to kind of finish up here with what Dennis had because it was so good. I can't just reinvent it, Dennis. I I had to just take it. Make sure you're working. Use your gifts. Help positively influence and encourage fellow believers in their walk. And then stay in the Word. And we say this a lot, but I think it's a little bit more than stay in the Word because I think a lot of us have been in church for a really long time and we have a lot of great head knowledge, but we've not seen a whole lot of heart transformation. If you're not seeing that heart transformation... Man, you may want to reconsider a few things. What can we do to set our soul on fire, to redevelop that love for the Lord that draws us into him, that helps change and helps sanctify? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You got to make sure you do your part too. Got to make sure you do your part too. I'll ask the worship team to come on back up. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, I thank you for um, that story of Athaliah and, and Joash. And, you know, as we look at it through the lens of influence, as we look at it through the lens of perseverance, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to make sure that we are being wise in what we're allowing to impact our hearts. I pray that you would help us to do a better job discerning and um, really being selective of, of who we let in. You know, the world is a very fallen place and the influences can be suffocating at times, God. But Father, I ask that you would just help us as the body of Christ to rise up, to help encourage one another in this walk, in this race that we're running that can be agonizing at times. We know we have a lot of people here hurting today. God, I ask that this week that they would see your hand moving in their life, that they would see your hand healing in their life, that you'd be providing clear direction for them. And may we as the body of believers, again, just come around, support and strengthen and encourage one another. Help us not just be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. Day by day, no matter whether the the course runs uphill or the wind feels full against us, may we consider Christ and may we run with endurance the race that is set before us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.